Hi, I'm Shiv. And I'm Chitra. We are the co-hosts of this show, Software People Stories. We are happy to bring you stories of people associated with software as makers or consumers. In every episode, we talk to people on their own personal and professional journeys, their interests and approach to work and life in a free-flowing conversational format. We hope that you will be able to draw your inspiration from their experiences and insights. These podcasts are made possible by PM Power Consulting, who have helped individuals, teams, and organizations on their delivery excellence journeys. Welcome to this edition of the Software People Stories. My guest today is Jeetu Narayan, who heads the Analytics COE at 247.ai. In this conversation, Jeetu talks about being the second generation IT professional in his family and how he considers himself to be a product technologist who got onto computers by getting hooked onto computer games. The different learnings from his experience with startups and mid-market companies and the importance of EQ or emotional intelligence. He also shares his perspectives on the impact and trend of where AI is headed and the considerations for distributing work in a globally spread team. Some interesting tips that he also shares are about how he went about managing stress at work and also how he handles stress during the Bangalore commute. How his rainbow personality as determined by the strengths deployment inventory was able to give him tips on handling stress and other situations. He also shares the lesson he learned from his manager about working long hours and how he is trying to influence the curriculum for technology related subjects in educational institutions to also have softer aspects such as emotional intelligence. And lastly, he answers the question on whether there would be a third generation IT person in his family. Listen on. Welcome to this episode of the Software People Stories, Jeetu. I've always been very curious about all the things that you've done from the time we met first. And I think the variety of experience that you've gone through, I think would make for a lot of interesting stories for our listeners as well. Thanks, Shink, uh, for having me on uh, your podcast. Yes, quite keen to see how we can uh, actually discuss about some of those and a few other thoughts as well that I have on my mind, but yes. To introduce yourself to our listeners, it'll probably be best if you could do that yourself in terms of how, what your background was, how you got into IT, how you like it, what you don't like, anything. Okay, okay, sure. Yeah, so I'm Jeetu Narayan. I currently head uh, the analytics COE at uh, 247.ai. From a professional perspective, I'm a second generation computer guy in the family. So my father used to work in the tech industry back in the 60s, 70s, and it was still not uh, really a tech world back then. Mm. Uh, And so in that sense, that's probably where my interest started off and then got familiar with some of those large mainframe computers that I used to kind of walk along with my dad back then. And that's how kind of the fascination started off. But more importantly, my side of the story, uh, for the last uh, a little over two decades now, been involved with companies across telecom, supply chain management, consumer, uh, workplace, uh, had the fortune to work for both established Fortune 100 companies and with entrepreneurial ventures on the way. And then more recently have tried to take a few mid-market companies where I can use the experience that I have across both of these different industries and see how to be 
able to blend and build out the best of both worlds into the mid-market scenario. So, so that's where it is. Fundamentally, I am a product uh, technologist and uh, having worked across consulting, program, product management, senior leadership, all the way through managing a company across two geographies. And uh, yeah, it's been an interesting ride all this way. Yeah, I think you're probably the first guest on the show to say that you're a second generation. <laughs> One curiosity question, at least a few people that I know, including myself, Mm-hmm. Our kids did not want to get into IT. Okay. Uh, probably after seeing what we do, the kind of hours we put in, I don't know what. And they're all quite happy using technology, but then they would rather do something else. So how okay. did you get influence to get into the line that your father was? Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So like I said, got exposed into computers and probably the very early versions of not yet called the PC. It was some of those older versions back in the early eighties when I used to start playing games at his office on weekends and so on. Okay. So, I mean, as you can imagine, games is a, is a great way to get hooked onto computers. So that's probably where it started off. And then uh, around the nineties, it is where it, uh, really picked up with the internet uh, kind of boom that started off uh, PCs becoming more accessible and that's where it kind of led to so I think it all started off with uh, the early exposure to computers mm. back at a time when you still had those flexible floppy disks and all of that and walking across to a few friends who had that particular one exchanging some of those you know, games and all of that particular thing so that's where the fascination started off so nice Interesting. Probably a games is a very good example of building something that is addictive and habit forming. Which is very, very true. In fact, uh, it's probably a good segue into some of the elements that I really wanted to touch base as well today. Because a lot of the things that I see in today's generation is all about, you know, addictive behaviors and the attention economy, which is kind of really spanned out, which is very different from how it was a few decades back and mm-hmm. how that's kind of influencing a lot of the factors in, uh, mm-hmm. in the, the social side of the world, in the economic side of the world, possibly from a, a workplace, what does it mean for future jobs? So a lot of things that gets impacted as part of it. But yeah, I'll, I'll leave it to as we speak and wind through it. Yeah, so over the years, when you said that now you've been in multiple domains as well as uh, handling you know, different types of companies or different sizes of companies that you were part of, uh, was there something that was a common thread or common theme that you found across or was it uh, completely new learning every time? But there was a common learning all throughout because like I mentioned, I've, uh, I've only been involved in product companies all throughout my very uh, all throughout my career. So I've not really had an exposure to the services side of the industry if you were to really look at it. Yes, there was a common thread there, but uh, having started off being a developer and then moving into consulting, which is a very different kind of a role, having to work with customers, trying to identify how is it that what you build actually makes sense from a business perspective to the customer, and then using that knowledge and then coming back in again to lead up product management and the to drive multiple teams uh, to actually deliver products that make sense to customers at the end of the day. And while still, you know, making sense for the business as well. So being able to link all of these things is what's really been useful as I've kind of transitioned across multiple roles and functions. The biggest difference, of course, what's there in working for a big company is that small fish in a big, huge world, very easy to get lost. You really don't know how you fit into the grand scheme of things. Mm. necessarily on the entrepreneurial side of the world the it's the other side where you don't know where your next month's paycheck is going to come from mm. so it also brings it with itself a lot of challenges but uh, it it gives you a lot of sense of ownership you really don't say that this is somebody else's jobs and uh, you kind of take 
that on to say that how do I kind of handle each and every element. So the exposure that it gives you in the entrepreneurial world is very different. And then mid-market is something like, uh, it's like a teenager, right? So it's neither a kid nor an adult. It's got a lot of problems. It wants to grow into something. It's kind of developing its own personality at that point in time. And that's where mid-market is quite challenging because it's got elements of both. And it's probably where I feel that it's a right fit for me to be able to mold what that big market company could be as it grows into an entrepreneurial, sorry, established company, but at the same time, not losing a lot of its entrepreneurial spirit. So that's where I'm now trying to build the bridge between what I've learned and how I can actually uh, see it unfold in the uh, industry today. Very nice. But in some of those challenges that you mentioned, is there more of softer challenges, people, chemistry, all those kinds of things than the hard technology challenges? Yes, I think that is one very, very evident aspect that kind of comes out. So, and that's probably becoming less of a differentiator. So if you really look at it, just awareness of technology and so on is probably not going to be a significant differentiator, especially as we go into the future as well. What really helps is to start building out the EQ component, which is the emotional quotient side of it, to know how is it that you can start to work with people, with teams, making sure that uh, you understand what really drives people to do what they're really trying to do as well. Right? So everybody in the company has got a certain motivation to do certain things, clearly doing it for and understanding those side of the aspects and then trying to see how you can put together the larger piece in the puzzle is what is really important. So understanding the soft side of it and not just focusing on the technology is uh, has been a key area. And to keep uh, reiterating with the team or reinstating it with them, saying the technology is at the end of the day is just an enabler. What you're trying to look at is identify good problems to solve which are scalable and how exactly can you build out a business that can actually be uh, worthwhile in the in the ecosystem today. So, And the related aspect is uh, when you look at, uh, say, software as a business or even as a, a product or a platform, and we talk about you know, building something that solves user problems, the empathy and EQ and things that go with it, and having to work with I'm saying having to work with because unfortunately today still there is a distinction between the business side and the tech side in most organizations or most businesses. Uh, Having to work with teams that are more focused or more excited by technology. Have you come across any good practices or good ways in which this bridge can be made effective? And also, are there any ideas in terms of the way software is being developed? Okay, I'll probably take it. Yeah, having spent a great deal of my experience in trying to be that bridge between the the technology folks and the business folks, Mm -hmm. uh, it's great to play in between because you understand both sides of the world and what you're trying to find is some common ground that makes it easy for one to translate to the other. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not something that works out for everybody. What really uh, needs to be worked out is to see how people's motivation can be kind of influenced to make sure that the common objectives that has been outlined for the business actually gets achieved. So quite a few things, uh, of course, experiences wise, several that have uh, kind of uh, made sense. It's not always that it just perfectly fits in where you have the the expectations and then you're able to kind of clearly meet that demand supply gap between the uh, both sides. Mm. So it's just something that needs to be worked through and continuously evaluated and iterated over. Mm. I think what's really changed over time though is that I remember probably not too far back, a little over a decade when I was with Adobe, we were still in that age-old 
release in two years kind of a model. Mm -hmm. so quite a very different style of how you can actually communicate because the releases were really spaced out. Mm. And coming to the current world where there are multiple releases happening within a day itself, right? So what does that bring into the whole scheme of things? Mm. So the agility has made a huge change, move away from waterfall into some of the newer models that we have in the agile world. It's very different. So while the practices remain the same, some of the these elements in terms of how the life cycle has probably changed. Mm -hmm. requires a certain element of trying to say that what elements need to be really prioritized versus a few of the others which need to be kind of put lower down in the order given how the world is more. I remember you mentioning once uh, something about natural way of developing software. How okay. does that fit in with your agile approaches or is that something very different? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I look at very uh, keenly is to say that uh, for a lot of the problems, what's the best way that you can look at how nature tries to solve the problem? So I don't think I've kind of uh, mastered it yet, but I'm still trying to look for opportunities to say that if a similar problem were to happen in nature, if you were to just look at it and how best would nature try to solve it without the intervention of a human, mm. right? It's quite interesting and just to see whether the same thing can work out for us. It's a very far-fetched idea. I don't think I really have um, a lot of examples to be able to prove it. But I still see that if you are a keen observer about certain things that's happening around you, there's a lot of things that you can actually take away and then find ways to say that how can that be used in business, a way that is very effective in terms of either your day-to-day -day transactional activities or even just uh, working out some of the long-term engagements. So that needs to be there. But uh, yeah, that was one of the keen areas that I'm looking at. Uh, I know I did kind of hint to say that I'd like to talk more about it, but uh, yeah, I, I kind of looked at it to say that consciously there needs to be a lot more credible examples that I can really take as I walk through this particular side of the story and then maybe uh, share some of those in a future iteration. I'll probably definitely want to take it to that. Sure, we'll keep it for a later conversation. But on that topic, one hmm. thing that I'm kind of starting to feel stronger, and uh, this also applies when we work with uh, organizations and working with teams to bring in agility, is that in nature, many times everything happens as an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Then something changes. It is not just that one thing changes, probably something else around it also changes. You know, whether it is the food chain, whether it is the migratory patterns, whether it is you know, a lot of other behavioral things also, the situational leadership type of things that we talk about. So in organizations also, when you want to bring in a little more natural ways of doing things, it has to be a little more pervasive than just confined to teams. That's true. Yes. That's true. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up as well. I mean, the concept of, I think, the butterflies effect and so on, right? A very small thing that's happening in one area of the company could have a significant impact on the whole company or possibly in another area altogether, right? right? And what it really needs is, uh, are companies uh, today ready to be able to start looking at it to say that it doesn't need to be always top down, but to actually start to say, how can we be more inclusive to say that, let that change happen. Let's see what comes out of it and open to embrace some of those changes and then take it forward. So, but it's a valid point, what you just uh, kind of brought up as well. True. See, today with uh, technology, it is possible to instrument a lot of things and generate a lot of data. Hmm. And we are trying to infer patterns from that, both in terms of what happened, as well as probably projecting it and predicting some things. Hmm. The intelligence inherently if we consider it as natural, something that happens in nature, like plants know where to grow. If there is no light, then they go seek light. If there's no water, they do that. Or they give secondary indications 
in terms of attracting you know, the birds and the animals or whatever they somehow that ecosystem kind of figures out some balance so when we are applying this to technology and saying that ai i'm just stressing on the artificial part the intelligence anyway is needed when we are trying to embed that into a lot of things i'm very curious as to you know where this will take us so the scope <laughs> of you know, ai in everything particularly you know from somebody who does a lot of analytics and analytics coe okay so your perspective on uh, is this something that is a fad or is this something that is going to give us some you know, more concrete benefits if i were to look at it to say that just from a, a pattern recognition perspective that's something that we do quite naturally as humans right and that is exactly what ai is also trying to identify to say that what are some of the patterns that i can start to see as it is shaping up and then how do i realize if there is an opportunity for me to kind of uh, utilize that in a way that is favorable right mm. so in that sense pattern recognition is something that is natural and it will continue to happen mm. where some of the evolution is really going to happen is to say that how fast can we start to look at patterns and how can we start knowing patterns without necessarily trying to give the upfront intent to say that i'm now looking for a pattern in this particular area patterns just emerge and then it just shows or reveals itself rather than you having to ask the question look at a certain data set and then trying to kind of look for patterns within that particular data set so Mm. think if there is a concept of evolutionary patterns that will kind of start to show up over a period of time i think that might be a very interesting area that will kind of evolve in this whole space more specifically i think the way at least a lot of the side of the world that we live in right now is basically to just start to say that how can we evaluate performance everything that needs to have a very effective measurable nature to say mm. how exactly do we know what's really happening and how do we really put our finger to it to say that are we heading in the right direction are we roughly in the same zone what are some of the new things that we need to leverage that is being explicitly kind of showing up in that in then that that list of things that you're looking at fact, uh, having handled different responsibilities and then particularly the mid-size companies to scale them up or handling cross geography teams as a leader what were the considerations for distributing work across geographies okay yeah excellent point i think there are a few elements and i think it's very interesting that i probably take the experience from my last company where i was uh, leading the entire organization in europe and in india so there were a few considerations that would really kind of pop out to say that what's the best way to identify where we need to have the resourcing The first obvious one is to say that when you have a certain market and in our case we have the market in what we call as a dark region which is the Germany Austria Switzerland it requires a very intricate knowledge about the local market about what really makes sense from that particular perspective so from the field team perspective it is very necessary that you need to have people who really can understand or have grown in that environment to know how best to be able to pitch a particular product mm. uh while at the same time from a business perspective you look at cost arbitrages to say what's the best way in which i can build out what's required but in a manner that will actually make sense for business mm. and those are some of the considerations that we look at to identify what's that right mix that we need to have across different geographies when you're trying to build out the solution for that particular one so we kept using these as the right methods to identify how best to be able to start scaling out the business in terms of whether it's the focus on revenue whether it's a focus on cost all of these factors being put together and then trying to identify how best to 
kind of scale out. And that's one area that I think India needs to really focus on because in the past, we used to have the technology expertise and the cost arbitrage in our favor. But more and more, and uh, at least in the recent years, and probably we will lose that cost arbitrage in the coming few years. The rate at which, whether you look at it in terms of what the cost for the company is, or whether in terms of how we are growing, Mm -hmm. or the demand supply that we have, which is leading to a a greater supply for resources, there is Mm -hmm. going to be downward pressure into trying to say how can we maintain this equilibrium and then take it forward. So it's got to be something that we, as from when we look at it from... And Indian competitiveness perspective, is that something that will still hold us in good stead? Or do we need to look at some examples of how, for example, the shipbuilding industry, which was very popular in Europe for a very long period. And then when the East Asian economy started building out lower cost you know, models of being able to deliver ships, how exactly they started looking at identifying ways to say that, okay, maybe we get into a specialized shipbuilding as opposed to trying to compete, continue to compete at the cost level. So those are some of the areas that even we start to need to look at to say that as there are other developing nations that kind of have probably a more natural affinity to the West to provide much greater cost arbitrage, favorable uh, cost situations, how is it that we can start building an expertise that helps us to be able to differentiate ourselves? So That's a very interesting point, uh, the whole thing of building something based on cost arbitrage. While it has been one of the formulas for the Indian IT industry success, and uh, over time, as the solutions are, every company is becoming a tech company and it has to be so closely integrated with their whole business and the business strategy. Does this still make sense in terms of the cost arbitrage for maybe producing their goods, for managing their supply chain? Definitely makes sense. But when IT is getting more and more integrated into the business, while geographically looking at where talent pools are available or where probably already there's an ecosystem to accelerate your solutions, how much does the cost advantage or cost differential weigh? Yeah, like I said, I mean, with the advance in technology and a lot of the cloud platform that's coming in, the rate at which you're able to build out solutions is turning out to be much, much faster. which actually completely takes cost out of the equation to a great extent. Mm -hmm. But wherever there is still, there are still certain, it's not so much about development of the solution, but there are certain areas that will still require to be run by human-powered technology experts in certain areas. And for those specific areas, cost arbitrage would always kick in. Mm -hmm. Not be to a great extent, but with a lot of these frameworks and libraries that are available, it takes away a huge portion of that out of the equation. But this will continue to be something that businesses will keep continuing to look at to identify ways to uh, optimize. Because the mantra for companies continue to be the same, which is to say, how can we get more for less? Uh, so the output, the expectations, whether it is the venture capitalists, private equity firms, markets, they'll continue to keep on looking at huge profitability margins that will keep coming out. And the only way that you can increase profitability, one is if your revenue increases significantly. The other one is to say that how do you make sure that you keep managing your cost more effectively. Right. And a big portion of cost today is still attributed to uh, cost to company because of resources. In that sense, that will still factor it. But there are uh, the considerations would still be there. Okay. So from your experience, have there been any uh, either horror stories or humor stories of uh, decisions 
not going the way they ought to have gone on in hindsight maybe the considerations for the decision should have been different there yeah, there are at least a couple of instances again i'll probably not go into the specific details about that particular one but there were at least a couple of instances where and it's it's probably a good experience for even others to say that at what level should we really have decision making there were instances where especially when we were at senior management level to look at certain trends look at how exactly the markets were moving look at the feedback that we were getting from our customers to say that maybe this is the right channel for us while at the same time the expectation from the investing group if you might call it whether it's the pe or otherwise would be at a completely different level because what they're looking at is a different set of parameters than to look at it from a reality perspective and that often ends up in a huge conflicting situation and there are at least a couple of instances in two companies that i've worked with where i've seen that this has led to an eventual failure of that entire the entity itself oh okay the reason is because what you see as the reality and how best is the decision to be taken versus trying to compromise to say that no i think the investing party requires something else let's move in that direction that's a conflict which becomes very difficult to kind of convince one party or the other and that often leads to a huge uh, con- uh, not necessarily the most ideal outcome so that's something that i think companies will continue to have to evolve and then be able to see how they can steer in that particular market and to make sure that customers at the end of the day are the ones who really lead to defining what that particular solution should be and using competition as a good benchmark to say that how exactly should we take it out in a manner that is very profitable rather than purely being led by metrics that is being defined from an outside in perspective i guess in all those cases uh, there would have been a lot of uncertainties and you had to take a call some decisions right in all our interactions when i observed you always seen you very cheerful and energetic so how do you handle stress or these uncertainties at work okay in uh, so in one of the uh, yeah the strengths deployment inventory i think this is one of the many psychometric tests that was there it was a big revelation in terms of trying to understand what my personality itself is right mm. and that was something that really helped me to look at it to say that what's the best way that i can handle stressful situations so what it kind of showed me is to say that in normal circumstances it defined me as somebody like a a person with a rainbow character what they meant by rainbow i'm sure you probably are familiar with it but it's one who actually is able to handle the the business needs the people needs the data side of it in terms of what's really coming out of it and then be able to identify what's the best mix for it the same situation however changes that under a stressful scenario i move away from the rainbow into slightly more of a data driven kind of a model which is to say that i don't necessarily just look at it from the people side to say is this going to affect people or not or purely from the business side how is it going to affect positively or negatively but to fall back to say that let's look at data and say that what does the data tell us and then use that as a benchmark to objectively take a decision forward so i now use this as a good guide to find out saying that what is the current situation and what's the best approach that i can take to kind of lead the conversation into the next uh, next arena. Oh, nice. What was the instrument that you mentioned? It's called strengths uh, deployment inventory SDI. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, this is about stress at work. 
how do you handle the bangalore commute stress that's the one which is the craziest piece and by the way i stay about uh, uh, 30 kilometers apart in terms of where my workplace and my this thing so 30 kilometers <laughs> can be a horrific commute what's really worked for me is um, there are a couple of things that i'm using uh, of course i've realized that it's probably not best that i'm in traffic or rather driving in traffic because uh, i'm a horrible driver i tend to basically just scream at people and then <laughs> Yeah, so that particular one. So traffic is clearly not meant for me. But uh, I have found other ways where I actually set up a whole bunch of my calls with other geo colleagues of mine. Okay. That's one side of the story. The other one, of course, I try to use it to unwind and relax. Do a bunch of other things that, uh, including pursuing a whole bunch of other pursuits that I would like to personally take up, which is into areas of interest of mine, which is. into the pseudo sciences so i like to go a little bit into the into vastu and a few other uh, spiritual side of the world so that's a good way for me to actually switch off from this side of the world get into a different side of it and then come back and uh, this was again a huge um, a big portion of what this was is uh, the very first company that i worked with uh, uh, siemens but i had my very first manager who saw me sitting up very late sitting and doing things and then he came by and asked me saying that uh, uh, what's the reason why are you sitting up late and i said well i really don't have anything to do if i go back home so i might as well sit up late and said uh, the way we look at it there are this two reasons why you have to sit up late either i have made a mistake in the amount of planning that is required and that is causing you to sit up late or that um, you have no idea how to manage your own time and therefore you have to sit up late which one of these two would you really like me to take away from you <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> right and this this coming from a person who was a german where they really strict about timelines they really wanted to be i think it was a good way and then he was the one who encouraged to say that I'd like you to go out pursue something he pushed me to go and take up a german language uh, certification and so on and he he was the one who kept saying that no I want you to go out and then experience a few things because that way you will come back the next morning with a few additional new ideas where you're not being just focused on this particular thing and you don't know how to find your way out of things mm. so it was a, it was a very interesting learning and that's uh, from the very first job it kind of stays with you for a very very long period so Yeah so that that's been huge so yeah those are some of the areas that i purposefully try to take my mind away from the job situation it's not quite as easy because nowadays with everything being 24/7 and you know teams spread across geographies you're pretty much connected all throughout but to the extent possible i think it makes sense to just disconnect make sure that you read something else which probably spurs your mind and on some of the problems that you're working on a day to day basis and then come back and try to address them so before i ask you for some advice for the new entrants to this industry are there any other thoughts that you would like to share yeah i mean uh, Yeah, it probably is a good time for me to kind of jump into because um, if I really look at it, what I wanted to focus on was to say that in this new world of what I uh, what's kind of referred to as the attention economy, where the number of hours in a day for everybody still remains the same, but everybody is kind of jostling to say how can they get the attention of the user. Hmm. And uh, the more recent, uh, you know, advent of instant gratification. If people, I mean, I'm sure uh, we can recall when back in the '80s, you apply for a phone, it probably comes in four months. You have to, you know, set up a trunk call, and then you get it the next day. People were comfortable with waiting. There was, and now everything is just available at your fingertips. And then all of a sudden, with that kind of gratification model, hmm. the expectations have changed significantly. Right? Hmm. What does it really mean for us? From a, I mean, how 
how does it really translate or the addiction to social affirmation for example right so these are some of the new trends that i think could be really new opportunities that we could look at to find ways to say that what are some of the new problems that might either ex- either exist or might creep in the future that needs to be resolved right mm-hmm. and uh, see how it is so yeah those are some of the areas that i'm trying to look at again anxiety disorder what they call as fomo uh, you know right uh, yeah. when you feel that you're when you're not caught up and you feel that you know you just need to kind of get caught up really fast so i, I believe all of these will bring in potentially new models that we need to really start incorporating and leveraging and finding new ways to kind of interact you know in a beneficial manner from a from a business perspective so I think those are the areas that I'm really looking forward to to see how to gradually expand it. Hmm, interesting. Cuz I don't know if you've heard of uh, this person called Neer Eyal. Uh, yeah, among, among other things that he became quite popular when he uh, wrote a book on uh, building habit forming products. Okay. Okay. About uh, the psychology and then how to keep people engaged the gamification and all that is a lot of things. And then his latest book and I had the opportunity to be one of the the alpha the beta reviewers okay. it's called indistractable mm-hmm. which is probably the other way saying as you build a product which is probably getting uh, people to be hooked the book is called hook and this one it says from the recipient side how do i not fall into the trap okay okay his <laughs> <laughs> own personal transformation over the years he said i found that it is getting to be too much right and right. i needed a way to liberate myself and then uh, things so i guess what you say is very true everybody is going through a cycle of you know, the attention economy and uh, we get sucked into it and information overload i remember the other day when somebody had actually gone out for a, or a break and they were in one remote corner where they wouldn't get the signals and and the f- person was frustrated the first couple of days but then when he finally ended that five day journey he actually said you know it felt good for a change that you know <laughs> you're not constantly having to be up to date on everything and you're reachable and you know everything is expected to you instantly i mean expected out of you instantly so yeah i think if people can find ways to just completely switch off i think it will do a world of good to everybody so yeah <laughs> okay. so what would be your advice to people considering getting into it i think um, quite clearly given all of these set of things the traditional ways of how it used to be is probably not going to be relevant going into the future mm. i am involved with several institutes and colleges to actually start looking at their curriculum to actually say how do we need to influence it and maybe change or add additional uh, aspects into the curriculum that makes it a lot more employable going into the future right okay. nice. and uh, the again we're trying to just say that what aspects of it needs to be really theoretical versus a whole bunch of it really turning out to be more practical and vocational and finding ways in which people can start to identify and solve real problems as opposed to trying to move away from i think it is going to have a transformational change in terms of the way the employment is going to shift it as a it will still be an enabler in that sense but the jobs might be very different from what we know of it as as of today and i think uh, apart from the technology skills and uh, knowledge about software side of the world i think people need to start developing a whole lot on the on the soft skills and the eq side of the story which i think will become a much larger uh, something that is really uh, necessary or needed as part of uh, what's apart from so those will not be just additional flavors those will be the necessity and some of these software side of the world might actually become those are good to have 
I feel that's going to be a change that will be there. And uh, yeah, um, like my own son, I'm constantly trying to push him out to not become a third generation computer guy now. <laughs> <laughs> it's the other way. Huh? It's the other way. <laughs> Though I know that he is hooked on all of these sort of things. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. So I, I think, uh, yes, it will grow, but it will be very different from what we know of it in the past. So I think the next five to 10 years is going to be significant in terms of how the change is going to be. Wonderful, Jitu. I think uh, I'll get back to you once. You also have uh, some more theories and models and then you're ready to discuss the natural ways of doing things. Absolutely. Nature. Yeah. yeah right. Okay. I enjoyed the conversation. I'm sure our listeners also would. Thank, Thank you. Sure. It's been a pleasure talking to you as well. And yeah, uh, yeah look forward to getting back. If you like the show and would like to share your experiences with the community or know someone else who might want to do that, please get in touch with us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com. That is podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com. Please rate the show on Podchaser, Stitcher, iTunes, or any other podcast client that you find us on. Please also share our episodes with your friends and others in your network. If you or anyone you know would like to be featured on our show, do write to us at this email address, podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com.